0: Welcome to the Mass Device Fast Five MedTech News Podcast, the show that keeps you up to date on the latest breakthroughs in medical technology with the top five news stories to get your day started. I'm your host, Danielle Kirsch, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Sean Hooley. What are we going to talk about today, Sean?
1: Today, we'll talk about Inspira's new line of cardiopulmonary bypass devices, Satio winning a $3.5 million contract for at-home transdermal drug delivery. The FDA granting investigational device exemption to encompasses Cerebral Embolic Protection System for TAVR procedures, a new ProPublica report that claimed Phillips withheld CPAP problems from the FDA for years, and Abbott's real-world data that claims GLP-1s could actually boost its CGM platform.
0: What's the first thing that we should know for today?
1: First thing is the Inspira News. The company's unveiling a new line of cardiopulmonary bypass devices with High hopes, including regulatory milestones in the near term.
0: What does this line of devices include?
1: So the line includes the ART-100 cardiopulmonary bypass or CPB device for patients who are undergoing CPB procedures. But the company has real high hopes for its ART-500 device, an investigational device. Both are investigational, actually. So what do they do? They provide respiratory support for patients who may require legacy mechanical ventilation. Now, the company submitted the ART-100 device to the FDA earlier this month. We covered that on mass device, and it expects that system to receive FDA clearance in the first half of next year. ART-500, which, as I said, remains investigational, was designed to boost oxygen saturation levels in a matter of minutes, even with the patient staying awake. So Inspira wants to use it to deliver blood circulation technology with AI-driven monitoring and analytics, so an advanced platform for cardiopulmonary bypass.
0: What's the next thing that we should know for today?
1: Satio won $3.5 million contract from an agency within the National Institutes for Health to develop its at-home transdermal drug delivery device. Uh, This is a space that interests me a lot when I report on drug delivery because these needle-free devices keep coming and it's just an area I keep an eye on to see if they can ever penetrate the traditional syringe-dominated market.
0: What does this device do?
1: Well, it's a compact and inexpensive drug delivery device that features disposable microneedle components for precise delivery. It remotely enables the delivery of a precise meter dose of any liquid drug approved by the FDA for transdermal delivery. And it creates minute pathways through the epidermis to enable painless direct drug de- delivery into the bloodstream. And because of its ability for at-home ad- administration, it also tackles the challenges of treatment compliance.
0: Interesting. And a $3.5 million contract is a sizable amount of money. What will the contract allow the company to do?
1: Well, the company said that under the contract, it expects to leverage design features from its other patch-based devices and use feasibility data from its manually operated transdermal delivery devices. In combining these, it expects to develop a next-generation remotely controllable device.
0: What's the next news story that we should know?
1: The FDA granted investigational device exemption to Encompass for its cerebral embolic protection system for use in TAVR procedures. Obviously, I'm no doctor, but when I think of TAVR complications, my mind would go to the heart, but it appears that the brain is also vulnerable, and this device addresses that.
0: What did the company design this device for, and how does it work? So, it designed it to
1: protect patients from brain injury during cardiovascular procedures, including TAVR transcatheter aortic valve replacement. The company says that all those cardiovascular procedures that it works for cause the release of particulate debris and air bubbles, or emboli, and emboli can cause injury if they reach the brain. The F2 filter has pores small enough to block most of those emboli that go to the brain while also preserving blood flow. So during the TAVR procedure, 360-degree wall apposition of the filter in the aortic arch prevents migration, and it's attached to a self-expanding nitinol stent that's easy to insert, deploy, and retrieve.
0: What is some of the data that has been presented about the device?
1: Earlier this year, researchers presented results from an in vitro study comparing the F2 filter versus Boston Scientific Sentinel. And Encompass says that for all sizes of emboli, the F2 prevented 94% more emboli from reaching the brain than sentinel company began a first-in-human study for three patients undergoing TAVR, and that small cohort also demonstrated 100% procedural success and no adverse events.
0: What are executives saying?
1: George Wallace, the CEO of the company, said that the U.S. pilot study, along with the company's growing clinical experience outside the U.S., represents the beginning of its clinical journey towards demonstrating meaningful patient benefits.
0: Now let's talk about that Phillips story.
1: Yeah, Phillips reportedly withheld CPAP problems from the FDA for years. So it's another wrinkle in this never-ending story at Phillips with, I must add, some incredible investigative work from ProPublica and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette to thank for this latest development.
0: And it was really thorough. So what did the ProPublica report say, essentially?
1: The report says that Phillips received the first complaints of degraded sound abatement foam in its respiratory devices in 2010. But 11 years passed before it actually turned into the massive recall we've been following since mid-2021. So according to ProPublica and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Phillips withheld the vast majority of the warnings about black particles, dirt, dust, and other contaminants in device airway chambers from the FDA, even as reports became more alarming each year.
0: And we've obviously seen the recall play out in multiple ways since it started in 2021. And we've seen Philips react to, you know, being investigated by the DOJ and even ousting their CEO. What were some of Philips' reactions to this report?
1: Yeah, well, the company said in statements to ProPublica for the story in advance of the story that it acted as soon as it learned of the potential significance of the problem. But in response to the publishing of the report, the company said these articles do not present new facts and we do not agree with the characterizations made in these articles.
0: So this recall is still ongoing for Phillips, right?
1: Yeah, uh, continues to engage in talks with the U.S. DOJ, as you mentioned, consent decree talks over the handling of the recall. And The company says the remediation of its sleep therapy devices is nearing completion, while the remediation of affected ventilators is still ongoing.
0: And now let's talk about those GLP-1 drugs and how they might affect devices.
1: Yeah, we can't seem to get away from them. Uh, but Abbott has real-world data indicating that GLP-1s could be an accelerator for the Freestyle Libre CGM platform. It's, it adds another layer to the story from earlier this month about GLP-1s and the diabetes tech market. That story also sort of hinted at some benefits for CGMs. So it's it's another reason I'd say to feel optimistic in this sense.
0: Tell us a little bit about the uncertainty with the GLP-1s.
1: The GLP-1 receptor agonists like uh, Ozempic, Wegovy, they provide therapy for diabetes, weight loss. They, they proved to lead to improved blood sugar control. The drug class has continued to grow in popularity, but also raised questions in medtech around how large impact could be. There's been some negative market movement for a few names in diabetes technology, with analysts reacting by cutting sales forecasts for some big names. We've also seen it extend to surgical robotics and bariatric surgery. Uh, But the tides have sort of turned in recent weeks. We spoke on the show about the BTIG expert call where a doctor shared that GLP-1s aren't so much threatening to diabetes tech as potentially helpful. And the latest news from Abbott seems to back that up.
0: So what did Abbott uncover?
1: Well, Abbott, using analysis, capturing patient claims data for the entire U.S. retail pharmacy channel, approximately 280 million people in the U.S., represents approximately two-thirds of all Freestyle Libre users in the U.S. Takeaways included that the use of GLP-1 therapy has increased, as has the number of Libre users, whether those correlate it remains to be seen, but the number of Libre users has increased rapidly, according to Abbott. Additionally, the number of Libre users who also use GLP-1 therapy has grown over time, and it observed that sensor adherence for Libre devices came in higher for those that also use GLP-1 therapy. And similarly, GLP-1 adherence registers higher for those who are on CGM.
0: What did analysts think about this data?
1: A group of Wells Fargo analysts said that while investors, as I mentioned, previously expressed concern about CGM adherence for GLP-1 users, the Abbott Pharmacy data showed the exact opposite. They also noted that Dexcom, another major player in the CGM space, reported its own increase in CGM use with GLP-1 initiation. So they said, overall, they see this as positive data, suggesting that GLP-1s could actually be a modest tailwind for Libre versus the headwind that many feared.
0: That's all the news that we have for today. Thank you, Sean, for coming on, bringing us these insights on this Friday episode.
1: My pleasure. As always, read more on the Mass Device website and check out the show notes at massdevice.com slash podcast.
0: Connect with us online. I'm on LinkedIn at Danielle Kirsch, K-I-R-S-H. What about you, Sean?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn, Sean S E A N Hooli W H O O L E Y.
0: Subscribe to the Mass Device Fast Five where we listen to podcasts and share this episode. Join us next week for your daily medtech news roundup. Thank you for listening.